to Galatians chapter 3. We're focusing on verses 7 through 9 today. So a little bit of review. After Paul planted these churches in Galatia, false teachers have crept in and infiltrated with their false teachings. They're trying to convince these Galatians that Paul's gospel is not sufficient, that more is needed. They want these Galatian Christians, these brand new Christians, to be circumcised in order for them to be in right relationship with God. They want them to adopt Jewish customs. They want them to become Jewish, essentially. They're teaching that something more than faith is needed, these works of the flesh. All along the way, as they are sowing their false teachings, they are undermining the authority of Paul and therefore the gospel that Paul was bringing, undermining the gospel of grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. They're undermining this. And so Paul spends the majority of the first two chapters defending his authority as an apostle and his authority in delivering this gospel. And he's not just doing it for his sake, but he's doing it to uphold the authority of the gospel, which gives him authority. So he spent the first two chapters, the majority of that time, upholding his authority and thereby the authority of the gospel. He wants nothing to take away from the gospel of grace, even attacks on himself. And then in chapter 3, Paul shifts. You see, he enters, a, he, he, he shifts away from defending himself and the gospel that he represents, and he goes into direct confrontation mode. He's con confronting these false teachings of what the, the Galatian Christians are considering, reminding them of what they believe in, what their experiences have been, what is the essence of their faith. He's going to begin building what all of that is now. And as we look at verses 7 through 9 today, he's going to begin to argue for that faith that the Galatians first receive. Faith unpolluted by false teachings of works. He is defending the gospel of grace that comes by faith in Christ. So what I want to do as we look at these three, really four verses today I want to show you God's plan for righteousness as it's demonstrated and initiated in Abraham. And I want to call you to live in that righteousness. So, let's read. Our, um, we're going to read our passage, but more than that, we're going to start at chapter 3, verse 1. Follow along with me. I'm reading from the ESV. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit of works of the law by hearing with faith? Uh, works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law? Or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are of the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham 
the man of faith. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would be speaking to us this morning. Through your word, through the words coming out of my mouth, be speaking to every one of us in this room. Help us to see the incredible work of salvation that you have done on this earth, that you are doing in us, that you are bringing to completion. Help us to be amazed by the righteousness that you've given to us. God, we cannot see these things with natural eyes. We ask you to give us faith, spiritual eyes, that will see these things and be riveted by them. And so do this this morning, I pray, in our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. So when we look at our passage, verses 7 through 9, Paul's in this different mode. In Chapter 216, Paul said this. He said, We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And when we looked at that a few weeks ago, I told you that that was really the main point of the book of Galatians, the letter to the Galatians. That's the central theme. And so in our passage today, he's beginning to unfold what that really means. People are not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, and now he is arguing how we are justified through faith in Jesus Christ, and how this was always the plan for all time. This was always the plan, and to show us that, that this was always the plan, and that we are justified by faith and not by works, he goes all the way back to Abraham, back to the beginning of God's plan for salvation. Look at verse 6 again. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So if we are going to understand this, these verses at all, we need to have a refresher on who Paul is talking about, on who a- Abraham was, and more importantly than who the man was, what his role was in God's plan of salvation, his unfolding plan for salvation. So... We're going to do this whole plan. God creates man to be fully satisfied by him, to live in relationship with him, to be in harmony with him. Adam and Eve in the garden, and it's perfect, and it's beautiful, and he delights in them, and they delight in him. They walk together. They perfectly bear his image, and they naturally and joyfully carry out his will on earth, and it is amazing. It is paradise. And then it wasn't. And Satan tempts them. And they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they fall. And all creation comes falling down with them. The whole earth. And then all of their nearly all of their descendants descend into this darkness of wickedness, covering the earth with that plague. And their wickedness grows and increases, and God sees it, and he decides to bring this wickedness, these wicked people, to an end, and he sends this flood and cleanses the earth and spares a family, Noah's family. And they are given the earth, like Adam and Eve were given the earth. 
But that problem of sin persisted. Though the earth was cleansed of wicked people, it wasn't cleansed of the wickedness in the human heart. Noah's descendants build a tower of arrogance, a middle finger that's lifted to God. And in an act of mercy, God does not destroy them, but he confuses them, gives them different languages, scatters them all over the face of the planet. The nations are born. And then, some 350 to 400 years after that flood, God sets his plan of salvation into into motion, a plan that would deal with the wickedness of the human heart, the arrogance, the pride, the selfishness of the human heart. He's going to do something to deal with this cursed fallenness and bring humanity back into blessing. And so out of the nations, God calls Abraham. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make you a great nation. A great, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God is creating this plan of salvation for all humanity, all mankind, every family on earth, a plan to escape the curse of wickedness and enter into blessing back to how God created humanity, a plan that would come through Abraham's lineage. But there is a problem. Abraham's wife, Sarah, is barren. She cannot conceive a child. How on earth is God going to bless every family on earth if Abraham can't even start a family? And so Abraham, distraught, cries out to God. And God answers, Genesis 15, 5 and 6, he says, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then God said to Abraham, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. These promises being given to Abraham are promises of salvation, promises of blessing, redemption, restored relationship. And immediately after God promises this, He makes a covenant with Abraham. He makes a covenant that says, I, God, myself, will suffer so that these promises come true. I will ensure these promises. I will guarantee them even if I have to suffer for them. After God makes that covenant with Abraham, years and years go by, And then, many years later, God requires Abraham to wear an outward sign of that covenant, the sign of circumcision. God also requires that every male born in the family of Abraham 
will also be circumcised. Circumcision will be the sign that you are in covenant with God, that you are in relationship to God, that you are an heir of these promises, that Abraham's blessing rests on you. That's what circumcision was the sign of. Listen to what else God says from Genesis 17, 14. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my, command, my covenant. So you can think of circumcision as the first law. God required circumcision as a sign of the covenant, something that would set Abraham and his family apart from the nations. It was an act of obedience. It was a law. It must be done or else you're not one of the people of God. And this brings us right back to Galatians. This is why the false teachers are being so adamant that these new Christians get circumcised. Because this is the sign of relationship to God. They're saying, if you want to receive the promise and blessing of Abraham, then you must be circumcised. The work of circumcision is what brings you into right standing with God. And look back at Genesis. If you're not circumcised, you're cut off from his people. So they are teaching, you must be circumcised. And that is precisely what Paul is arguing against. There is no work of the law, not even circumcision, that brings a person into right standing with God. No one is justified by works, but by faith. So, in chapter 3, you look at verses 1 through 5, Paul is reminding the Galatians of their experience of coming to faith. The Holy Spirit didn't come to them because they got circumcised. It was because they heard the gospel and they believed in it. That's their experience. They heard, they believed. They believed they were justified. And then Paul takes this argument of the false teachers and he shatters it. He destroys it. Even Abraham, the first, was not justified by works, but because of his faith. Verse 6 again. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So you probably already heard it, but Paul is quoting Genesis 15, verses 5 and 6. I'll read it again. Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then God said to Abraham, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. That's what Paul is quoting in verse 6. God grants Abraham righteousness years and years before circumcision. God grants Abraham righteousness before any law was ever given. There's no law anywhere near this righteousness. There is no act of obedience. There is, Abraham is not becoming righteous by performing some work, but simply by trusting that God will make good on this promise, that God will indeed bring about descendants as numerous as the stars. Abraham believes it. And this is not a work 
or an act of obedience. And we need to be careful right here because it's very easy for us to say, yes, there is an act of obedience, his faith. Was not his faith an obedient act to the promise of God? Notice what the text says. Abraham believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. It does not say Abraham's faith was his righteousness. That is a major distinction. God counts his faith as righteousness, not his righteousness or his faith was his righteousness. So as, you pro- as we will progress through the book of Galatians, we're going to get deeper and deeper into the story of Abraham, and you're going to learn that Abraham did not have some super holy faith. He had a troubled faith, plagued with doubt, plagued by worldly concerns. It was little faith. It was mustard seed faith, tiny, tiny faith. In the beginning, Abraham's faith was plagued by sin, which immediately means that it wasn't righteous. So therefore, Abraham could not be righteous because of his faith. It is not the source of his righteousness. So despite knowing all of that about Abraham's faith, about the sins that plagued him, about what would happen as a result of Abraham's faith, God still counts this belief as righteousness for Abraham. It's despite Abraham that God counts this as righteousness. And so what happens is when Abraham believes and God counts that as righteousness, that is a gift to Abraham. It is a gift of righteousness bestowed to Abraham. But that's not the only gift. God is also giving the gift of faith. The very fact that Abraham believed was a gift from God. Abraham, like you and I, only have faith because God has given that to us. Paul writes in Philippians 1.29 that belief in Jesus has been granted to us or it has been gifted to us. And famously in Ephesians 2, he writes this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. God gives the gift of faith. You did not produce faith. God produced it in you. And Jesus calls this something else. He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. When we have faith in Jesus Christ, we are justified, we are born again. Who among you in this room has chosen to be born into this world? No one. Neither did you choose to have faith. Faith is a gift, justification is a gift, righteousness is a gift. And God lovingly, sovereignly, graciously gives the gift of faith. And then he calls us righteous 
just as it was for Abraham in this passage. So, faith is not an act of obedience. Faith is a miracle that is born in you by the work of God. Now, as we progress in our faith, we can exercise that faith. We can grow in faith. We can obediently respond in faith. But that initial faith comes from God. All faith really comes from God, and and we'll get to that in a little bit. Let's look at verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So if you've been given that gift of faith, then that means you are a son or a daughter of Abraham. It is not by being circumcised. It is not by obeying the law. It is not by becoming a Jew. It is because you have faith. It is because you have been given the gift of faith and righteousness has been given to you through your faith in Jesus Christ. One of the central themes of the Reformation was grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. And that is what Paul is talking about right here. Given righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ, and you are brought into the family of Abraham. So this is the gospel. And the way God counted Abraham as righteous was the gospel being foreshadowed. It was pointing forward to a time when God would fully unfold his plan of salvation, the way that God planned to once and for all deal with the fallen human heart. That was all being foreshadowed way back in the story with Abraham. Look at verse 8 now. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Okay, so we also saw this being quoted in Genesis, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make you a great nation, and make your name great. I think I have a typo in there. So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. This is the gospel being proclaimed to Abraham long before the gospel was revealed. That's what Paul is telling us. In this promise given to Abraham, God is foreshadowing a time when all the families of the earth, every tribe, tongue, and nation will receive the blessing of Abraham. A way that Gentiles, the nations, will have access to God. Those that were scattered at once would be brought together in Christ, joining the family of Abraham, the family of God. So that promise that all the nations will be blessed through you is pointing towards justification by faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't that crazy? Justification by faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who came from the bloodline of Abraham, a descendant of Abraham. Now clearly, when the promises were given, Abraham didn't know all of this. It was 
totally a mystery to him. They're hidden from his eyes. But for us, on this side of the cross, the cross removes the veil. We can see clearly now the fullness of God's plan for salvation. That's how the writer of Hebrews began his book. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Abraham and the prophets did not see the cross. They only saw the shadow of it, of what was to come. But we see Christ crucified, offering forgiveness of sins. We see Christ resurrected, bringing eternal life. We hear the voice of Christ calling, You must be born again. Now Christ, this descendant of Abraham, has become the heir of all things. What does that mean? Christ is the heir of all things. It's talking about the promises given to Abraham. All of the promises are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. All of the promises are true in Jesus Christ, for Jesus Christ. He receives the blessing. He receives the fullness. He receives the rest. All that Abraham looked forward to is realized in the crucified Son of God. So now, any family on earth, any person can come to Jesus Christ in faith and be born again, be justified, be given righteousness. If you remember what I talked about a few weeks ago, when you are justified, that means you are united to Christ. In the same sort of way that a husband is united to his bride, you are united to Christ and you become a son or daughter of the living God. So if Jesus is the heir of all things and you are united to Jesus, then all things belong to you. You are an heir of all things because you have been united to Christ by faith as a gift of grace. You become an heir of the promises. As 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. So by faith in Jesus Christ, you are blessed along with Abraham. Verse 9 says, so then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So you are, well, through faith in Jesus Christ, that brings you into the blessing of Abraham. What is the blessing? I touched on a few, and there are a whole lot, and I don't have time to go through them all, but there is one that's nearest at hand, and that's righteousness. The blessing of Abraham that is nearest at hand is righteousness. Man, isn't this a Christian word? The significance of you being called righteous is God giving you righteousness is that you are in right relationship with God. You can now relate to God. You can be with God forever, now and forever. You have eternal life because you have been given the righteousness of Christ. Righteous, that just means 
the wickedness of your heart that you were born with, that you agreed with as you sinned, has been dealt with, has been cleansed, has been purified. And our God, who is a consuming fire, you can now go stand in his presence as a holy one. That is what righteousness means. That is the blessing of Abraham that you have been given by faith in Jesus Christ. And you know what? He does that even if your faith is small. Even if you are plagued by doubts and worldly concerns, he calls you righteous. Sin still clings to you, but there is no work that you need to do to make this happen. There's nothing you can perform to make this happen. If there is faith in your heart for Jesus Christ, then that is the sign that God is already doing it. That your eternal life has been born. That that mustard seed is growing. And it will fill all of you until you are totally made new when you see his face. You are counted as righteous. You are justified. And that devil knows our struggles. And so he wants to deceive you with words that you're not good. That you are a failure. That your sin is too great. But faith, even even little faith, believes that God has given you the righteousness of Christ. And so the devil might try to say how great you are. Look, you're righteous. Faith believes that nothing good comes from yourself, but it comes from God. You're not given the ability to be arrogant, and you're not given the ability to hate yourself. You're given Christ. So let's consider Abraham again. When God gave his promises to Abraham, he believed. And yes, that was a faltering faith. It would flicker and it would get pretty dismal at times, but it was faith nonetheless. And faith means that action follows. Because if you trust something and you really believe that that's true, you're going to order your life accordingly. Your behavior and your thinking will conform to that which you trust in. Abraham believed God, and it led him to worship and prayer. It led him to receive circumcision, which for a grown man is no small thing. It led him to welcome and serve strangers. It led him to move his family to unknown places. It led him to be ready to sacrifice everything he loved, his faith. Abraham was ordering his life according to his faith. Each act that that he did, that I just went through, was demonstrating that his faith was growing, that his faith was getting stronger. Every time he acted in faith, God shows himself to be faithful, to be trustworthy. He showed that Abraham could indeed fully trust in him, even if it initially hurt. And with every act of faith, Abraham steps deeper and deeper into the promises of God. The righteousness that he has been given is being revealed in him more and more with every step of faith that he takes.
So, so brother and sister, how are you ordering your life according to the promises of God? Do you live a life of worship and prayer? Do you live a life of convenience and entertainment? Are you seeking those in need and how to serve them? Or do you spend most of your time serving yourself? Are you ready to lay down everything for the sake of Christ? Or do you protect yourself so you don't have to lay down anything? Your faith might be like Abraham's was in the beginning, small, faltering, wrestling with doubt. So I urge you to pray like that man who encountered Jesus and had that demon-possessed son. And that man cries out, I believe! Help my unbelief! That's a prayer of faith. I believe. Help my unbelief. You know, God has given us so much. He has proven himself faithful again and again and again. Let us trust in this God who graciously wants to give us more faith. He wants us to live in the righteousness that comes through faith. More and more faith, more and more righteousness. He wants it all to grow in us. And with each measure of faith that he grants, Christ is revealed in us more and more. So one day we can come to the place where we can truly, with fullness of heart, say with Paul, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's where he is taking you. Live in the faith that God has given you, in the righteousness that he granted you. You are an heir of all the blessings of Abraham. God's plan of salvation is working in you right now. I believe it. Help my unbelief. One more thought about faith. There's this time when the disciples come to Jesus and they ask him to increase their faith. Turn with me to Luke chapter 17, verses 5 and 6. Luke 17, verses 5 and 6. The apostles, the disciples, said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. That can be a very confusing passage. And I think that there's probably a lot of people who've Spoken to trees. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying it's not about how big your faith is. It's about how powerful God is. It's not about your quantity of faith. It's about the work of God. 
Abraham had this little baby mustard seed faith. And yet God initiates his plan of salvation to redeem the whole world through him. Amazing. What will he do with our little mustard seeds? I believe, help my own belief. Let's pray. We hear these truths week in and week out, Father, and and our belief is sometimes still so small. Oh God, I pray that you would work in us and open our eyes to these great realities. Whether our, seed, our, our faith is like a mustard seed today or whether it is much more mature and grown, I pray that you would continue to work in us and grow our faith. That we would believe you have called us, counted us as righteous, and then live in that righteousness. Naturally, this doesn't feel right. And so help us to have eyes, spiritual eyes, that see these things and trust in these things, that trust in you who gives these promises. I am so grateful that we have you to trust in, who are eternal, unmovable, unchanging, and generously gracious. Thank you. Thank you for calling us. Thank you for awakening us and giving us faith for birthing us into your kingdom. We praise you for everything. We have, every, we, we have nothing to, in ourselves that we can boast about, but only in Christ. We boast in Christ and thank you for him. In his name we pray. Amen.